see you again. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? Great. Good. Thanks right. Brilliant. Me. Well, that's the end of the podcast. That was good. <laughs>
because there's a there's a lot of I mean, so anybody who has tried to produce anything at the fringe or to bring any show here will know how hard it is to get anybody into review. There are a lot of shows that that will come and go without a single reviewer in, uh, and it's painful, you know. And there's a I mean there's a whole other conversation about PR companies that will you know represent and guarantee to get you in with the big publications and get a review in from there and you know and how do you get in there and if you if you are a sort of an established name at the fringe you've been, you've been here for quite a while you're more likely to get a review because you'll have the contacts to do it and that you know there are certain reviewers that will not really stray too far from the front door or their comfort zone to do things and you know there's there's some reviewers that just won't touch the free fringe for example and all this other stuff so much as we might want it to be so it's i don't think it's really an equal opportunity playing field that's what i mean when i say you scratch my back ask about yours that there are things that you can do to make your production more likely to get a review from certain people it's a peculiar one isn't it because the concept makes me sort of bridle mm. and feel very agitated that such a sort of below-the-belt tactic would be employed in a quest to get a review. And yet, I wouldn't for a second think that an artist or a company that employed a PR agency was using a below-the-belt tactic. Mm. And yes. many of them will be paying far more than £50 lot to more. effectively guarantee their review. Orders of or magnitude more. paying a celebrity cast member right. infinitely more than £50, right. pounds, which would guarantee a reviewer turning yeah. up to review the show. So I suppose it's not a case of saying this site is charging £50 versus all of these other people who are doing it for free, in effect, because that isn't yes. a truthful reflection of the situation either. No, it's yep. not. In, in looking at it that way, you're, you're sort of equating a review to publicity. That surely shouldn't be the only purpose of a, of a review. You know? At the point where um, a reviewer is essentially an employee of the artist. Yes. How can you guarantee neutrality? Then? Well, that's exactly that's exactly it, isn't it? You know, the, this is one of the things that, that people were questioning about the Mumbles policy, is that if the reviewer has been paid 50 quid to come and review the show, and it's an absolute can of crap, are they going to say so? Are they even subconsciously going to be influenced to give it to, to pull their punches a little bit on the, on the review? But then a PR agency mm-hmm. or a representative yeah. would be paid and would be, if they're a professional, compelled to represent whatever product it was in the best way that they could. They absolutely would. Um, Which feels almost more duplicitous because they may be taking a terrible thing and painting it as being wonderful. In a way, yes, and in a way, no, I think. Because, yes, so the the job of, of any PR agency, they need to represent your product in the most positive way without outright lying about it. But, you know, to make that the most appealing thing that they can to their customer. And the customer in this case is reviewers, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what they're selling. They're trying to sell your show to a reviewer and their job is to do that in the best way they can. But there's an additional link to that chain because the reviewer has a level of distance from you. Mm-hmm. If, if your PR company has come to me and said, you know, we've got this great show that Clairewood has done. It's the best thing we've ever seen in the world. You've got to come and see it. It will change the world. And I go and see it and think, that's all right. Yeah, two stars, I guess. Then I can do that. Whereas, you know, if you yourself have said, I've written the greatest play the world has ever seen, come and see it tomorrow. 
I come and see it and think, it's not so hot. At that point, <laughs> it's a little more awkward for me to write that two-star review. Now, if I've got integrity, I will still try and do it, of course, but even subconsciously, it's going to influence me. But in the Mumbles case, is it not that the £50 or whatever amount of money it is, is going to the Mumble? As yeah, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm mischaracterising that horribly there, but I'm, trying, I'm sort of simplifying, simplifying for, for, for making my point. You're right, it's not, it's not the case that they're just slipping them 50 quid at a bar. It's not, that, not at all like that. It, they're quite the opposite. They've been very upfront about it, and it, you know, it doesn't go directly to that reviewer. It goes to the Mumble, and then the Mumble mm-hmm. can then cover the expenses of the reviewer, um, which I can see the need for in some way. There's a whole other part of this as well, which is, and, and this is a point that the mumble are making, and it's, it's one that I agree with them on, actually, is that a lot of the reviewers, and the, the reviews that you'll see on poster quotes and book quotes, will be from publications that are run by volunteers, that, where the, the, they're not being paid for the reviews. It is an essential part of the overall reviewing system for the festivals. Uh, and if it vanished overnight, there'd be a real problem. And yet the money's not there. But if you look at the amount of money that is flowing through the fringe in the festivals mm. as a whole, there's scandalous money. Scandalous. So, you know, the amount of money that's being paid to PR companies is, is shocking, shocking. Like, uh, Robert Peacock, our editor, cited an example whereby the amount that had been quoted for the services of one PR company over the course of the festival was more significantly more than the Wii Review makes in revenue over the course of an entire year. And so that's our entire site of the entire year for one PR company. Um, the amount of money that accommodation people make, you know, the universities rent out their rooms uh, and make a mint on it. People who live in Edinburgh and have Airbnbs that rent out at, I mean, there was one, I don't know whether it's actually true or not, there was one that was going around that was Four and a half thousand pounds for a two bed mm-hmm. apartment wow. for the month. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just farcical, farcical amounts of money. So that, and there is a lot, a lot of money going into the fringe. And is it necessarily being directed where it should be? A lot of the venue staff are still unpaid, even mm-hmm. at big venues that make <clears throat> proper, proper money. Um, reviewers are unpaid, a lot of them. So, when you look at it like that, you can kind of see where the mumble's coming from. And from that point of view, 50 quid is a drop in the ocean. It's nothing. I'm just going to say I'm pretty sure it's 30 quid for a Is it 30? Just yeah. again, I'm pretty sure yeah, yeah, it's 30 I mean, quid for sure. I, I, I can't remember <laughs> We're not sure on the details. <laughs> it is, it is a However, sum of money around that amount. Yeah. It's certainly less than 100 that they're charging. Reviewers yeah. are working for free. As a reviewer, I know we do a ton of work in the festival. And I would love it if there was a situation where there was the money for us to be paid for that, where that money would come from. I don't know about, but I think a lot of, I know, I know a lot of writers certainly who do a very you know, professional job, equally to people who, who do get like a living yes. salary for that. And so that's an issue that, you know, it would be nice if that was addressed. Equally, as volunteers, we are getting free tickets to, to stuff that we're choosing. It's not we're, be, we're being... I'm not, as a reviewer for the Wii Review, I'm not being told I need to go and review something yes. that I haven't picked. So I get to pick something that I think I would quite like to see, and I get the ticket to that. Sometimes I even get a plus one. Yeah. Is that remuneration? I'm not sure. I, I suppose, it, in, in a sense, it probably is. And, and I think that's actually part of the problem, really, because... Yeah, you're right. That that certainly for the We Review and I, I believe for most of the other volunteer-run review sites, the reviewers can to some extent choose what they want to go to see, mm-hmm. and so you can, should you so wish, 
simply use it as a way to get free tickets to your favourite shows. Uh, and there's no doubt about it, some people do do that. And Because the other thing is that the quality of reviews vary so drastically. And the average punter isn't going to see that. The average punter sees a five, five stars printed on a poster and think, oh, it's a five-star show. But five stars from publication A is very different to five stars from crappy reviewers chancing his arm dot wordpress dot com you know but doesn't really matter because you always put the citation in very small text and the stars are very big text on your posters of course you do so so that is a sense of remuneration Johnny thanks you just say that word separately and I'll just dub that in <laughs> remuneration yeah however there is the issue also I suppose potentially of we discussed this last time in our last podcast about if you can be neutral as a reviewer or if you mm. pick what you want, if you feel like you are a specialist in a particular genre or a specialist towards yeah. a particular kind of show, is there an argument that you're, you're, you know, some opinions are more valid about some types yes. of art and some opinions are more valid about other types of art and if you've, if you've picked a show... Are you entirely neutral about a type of show you're predisposed already to like, and that's why you've picked it? So, yeah. is there already an element of imbalance there? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think there probably is, but I think it's easily countered by the fact that as a reviewer, you need a certain level of understanding and, and mm-hmm. even expertise in the genre that you're reviewing to be able to correctly review it. Yes, yeah, so because be no the people point. who are going to see the show are yeah. also probably the same as you. There's no point yeah. sending me you're to review for the. You know, I. Uh, unless it's a children's ballet. Uh, uh, you know, You're into children's ballet, Johnny? Well, I am more than... I, I, understand, I understand children's theatre. Yeah. Children's ballet is basically children's theatre. Okay. Um, and, you know, if I review children... In fact, which I have in the past, I've reviewed a couple of children's ballet shows. And I'm reviewing that not on the technical merits of the dance or the choreography or the right. skill of the dancers, but more on the overall experience of the show and how it works as a piece of theatre, how it works as a piece of children's entertainment. Mm-hmm. And sure how it works as a dance, but that's that's less concerning. And I don't feel that I am out of my depth in doing so. If you sent me to review a professional uh, big-name ballet company doing Swan Lake, I wouldn't have a clue where to start, because I don't understand ballet. Never have. Probably never will. If we were getting paid, though, we'd be by a, a bit, you know, another kind of establishment. Yeah. Partly would our pay be to know that stuff? I suppose it would, yes. But then, you know, I, I would think that I probably would never get that job. Right. You know, I, I don't think I would ever be employed as a professional ballet reviewer. Well, I must have been incredibly impressive in the job interview because <laughs> I don't know nothing, stuff. Nothing. But then it's a self-selecting thing, isn't it, as you say, mm-hmm. because you perhaps wouldn't opt to review a whole bunch of um, modern or ballet shows yeah. in no, I a festival. And, because I be I, and I haven't. You uncomfortable know. <laughs> writing for you. Yeah, when I review the way review, I review comedy and theatre, that's it, because that's what I am right. confident that I know about. Every but time we have We Review Drinks, I speak to Tamsin, who mm-hmm. is a fabulous, absolutely love her, and she is our dance reviewer. Yes. And um, she always um, is keen to know why, as someone like me, who like I love dance, why I feel like I don't have the vocabulary to review yeah. dance. And I don't have an answer for her. I just don't think I do. Yeah. I feel like I've got a vocabulary for theatre, I've got a vocabulary for film, I've got a, rev- uh, a vocabulary for uh, comedy. But dance, I just don't feel like I've got that spe- specialist knowledge. I can appreciate it on some level, but I, I wouldn't put myself in that position to, to be critical. 
critiquing. Yeah, and I think I think you need that to be able to do a good review. A lovely moral question about if you're paying for it, can you therefore choose your reviewer and pick somebody that you know is going to be predisposed? Right. Say you come to the review yeah. and you pay us fifty pounds, not that we accept payments in exchange for reviews at this point well, in time. So encourage to review your doing it. Look, but nice. say someone were to. And we should be clear, as far as I'm aware, that's not what the Mumble are offering. You get a reviewer of their choice, not of yours. I think. Yeah. What about thirty for an interview without a review? What do we think about that? Is well, that Here's the thing. That's publicity, right? If I were producing a show at the Fringe, I would definitely, definitely pay 30 quid to get a review. What about for an interview? I'd pay 30 quid for an interview as well. I definitely would. Because it's hard to get a reviewer in. And so Mm. I definitely would. And I almost wouldn't care who it was from, in all honesty. Because all I want is that review. What if you're doing a ballet show and it was... Johnny Ingram and Christy McGorry who are going to review your ballet show. No, again, I'd still pay the 30 quid for it and I'll tell you why. Because the worst thing that can happen from that is that I get a three-star review with no pull quotes. That's useless to me. I've wasted my 30 quid. If I get a four or a five-star, then I don't need the pull quote. I just put four stars we review on the thing. Or, you know, from whichever publication it was, four stars on my poster, done. If I get a one or a two-star... That's almost as good because I can use that. We were extremely controversial. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, especially if there's a juicy pull quote. And I know this as a reviewer, I'm so conscious when I'm writing reviews of trying not to write something that can be pulled out and slapped on a poster. But inevitably it will be, you know, and it it will be taken not entirely out of context, but, you know, it's very, very skirted the edges of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely would do it, uh, you know, and I've, I've no problem saying so. I would pay that money and be happy to do so because it's so hard. We, we get it all the time when we do... Uh, so there's a, a, an event that happens every year called Meet the Media, um, mm. which is organised by the Fringe Society where you can go and queue in a big queue of crazy people in clown costumes for a long time. Uh, and at the end of it, you get to spend three minutes or so pitching your show to a representative of various fringe accredited review sites of which the with a we review is one we do it every year uh, and we spend several hours sat at the table talking to enthusiastic people with increasingly mad ideas about things that they're doing and it's great fun but repeatedly the things that we hear when we do that is it's so hard to get anybody in to review it. You know, we were here last year, we didn't get a single review. And we really, it's a really great show. We really love it. We're really passionate about it. And we just, you know, we just want more people to see it because we really, really like it. We never get anybody in. And it's it's so common. So I can understand it. I would definitely, 30 quid to get a review in. I almost don't care what they say. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, don't yeah. care. You know, even the, I'll tap the three stars, sorry, I'll, stop, I'll slap that on the poster. If it's the only review I've got, I'll put it on. I don't care. But if you're, it depends on what you're using reviews for, right? Because if well, you're using quite. reviews yeah. to sell tickets, so be it. If you're using reviews to try and get some sort of professional attention, presuming that might be what you want, then is there not a risk that a site that is accepting money in exchange for reviews becomes somehow discredited because mm. they're not exercising any sort of editorial judgment in what they seek to review. Yes, I think there probably is, but discredited with whom? Because Joe Punter isn't really going to care, you know? And like I say, I think for a lot of people, they see the five stars. So many shows now have five stars. You just look and you just see all the stars pinned to the poster. And all you're looking is, does this have a whole bunch of stars pinned to it? Okay, yeah. 
probably all right then. I genuinely think that's the, the approach that a lot of people will take. Um, so people will go and say, do you start? Oh, yeah, because the thing is, you look at the poster and you see a load of uh, stars that have been printed out and cut up and stapled on the poster, you know, like yeah, the way people do. Yeah, so it's sort of incredibility, isn't it? It absolutely is. Um, and, yeah, you know, you're right. And I think for a lot of people, they don't even check whether it's five or three. I genuinely, I mean, I've got no evidence for that. I'm just going on my gut. <laughs> I just think probably most people don't. But then yeah, the question the is, who's buying the tickets? So do stars only appeal to that little pool of people that can't be numerically all that many in comparison to the total fringe audience who go to venues and hang around in the corridor, as I do, staring at the posters yeah. and trying to work out which picture is the prettiest and <laughs> who's reviewed it. And, well, I think their opinion is really interesting. So actually I would listen to their version of four stars or I wouldn't necessarily mm. listen to their version of four stars. Um, so do stars do reviews really make a difference in the long run when it comes to trying to sell something unless it's the right stars from the right place and depending on the audience you're trying to sell to i would imagine god it probably does yeah i would imagine it probably does a four star from anyone yeah sounds like even to me that sounds like okay it's not going to be terrible it's worth four stars is going to be worth my money a friend of mine produced something at the fringe a few years ago uh, and she was in a quite small venue, and it was a new venue. They'd only been running, maybe they'd only been running that year, or maybe the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's quite canny about what she's doing and how she sets things up. And she had spent several months in the run-up to the Fringe, building up relationships with various uh, media organisations, and getting reviewers interested to come in and see the and so she had quite a few uh, press comps lined up on her ticket bill already before the thing started. And she got the first, she got three reviews within the first two days of being on. And I think I might say she got two five stars and a two star, right? And those were the first five star reviews that that venue had ever had. Because they were a new venue, not so because they were rubbish. And so yes. they absolutely, they went to town on it. But, uh-huh. but, but the th- but then you know there was they they were one of the venues that as a lot of them do they have a board mm-hmm. outside the venue that so lists their star stars. reviews for all yeah, the things yeah, yeah. that are in the venue and her show was the top of that board with five star reviews from three weeks of the fringe mm-hmm. I think yes. and there's no doubt that helped her there's no doubt because it's the first thing you saw when you walked past that venue uh, and just because she got those two reviews in and then she got several more over the course of the fringe and I think she actually shot the moon on that. I think she got the fabled one, two, three, four and five star reviews. Oh my word. There are comedians that love the one star as much as the, as the five. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I know uh, famously Daniel Kitson uh, had a show one it. year. Well, he, he's, he did uh, one, two, three, four and five. Uh, with one of his shows one year. I can't believe uh, you got and... one only because my mum loves him so much. I, I know, I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. say, but the one's a genius, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he did, and and he used that as part of his publicity. Uh, you know, he made That's a pretty good. figure and put it all, all over like his posters. Capaldi going out yeah. with uh, pictures of oh, yeah. Noel <laughs> Gallagher on him. Probably wasn't Noel Gallagher. <laughs> no, it was definitely Noel Gallagher, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. It was one of the Noel's. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, and, and I'm sure they have, yeah. And, you know, a savvy... PR person would definitely be able to use a one star review. If you're getting a one star and a five star, I think that's probably yeah. fair enough. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely worth your attention, one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, that, certainly for me, if I see a show that I know has got 
a handful of one stars and a handful of five stars. Does that happen often? A handful of one, a handful of five? <laughs> yeah. Uh, does it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've, it's not so infrequent that it's a unicorn, you know, I, I, I do see it. And, <laughs> okay. And if that happens, I'm definitely seeing that. Yeah, no, I would you too. Because that's it. Yeah, definitely. That is, one way or another, that's going to be an interesting show. Do you think there are any types of shows that are more likely to get a, a five star? Um, yeah, just based I mean, on the type of show rather than the, the the quality or the merit. I mean, it depends what you're talking about because there's a difference between what would be more inclined to get a five star in comedy than what would be more inclined to get a mm. five star in theatre or whatever. Okay. I don't think it's quite the case anymore because it's a bit more nuanced than that. But certainly a few years ago, for comedy at least, a five star show there was almost a formula for it. You know, it's a dead dad show, so you do you do the show. You you would have you would start off the show with a a handful of one-liner gags thrown out. Then you'd move on to do five minutes of crowd work. Then you'd have a ten-minute segment talking about something personal and true to you, probably on struggle with mental health, but mm-hmm. something personal that actually rings true. And twist each one to do a joke, and then you'd start to weave callbacks into it. And mm-hmm. then at the forty-minute mark, you reveal that actually that's you, the dad that you've been talking about all along actually died. It's very, mm-hmm, very sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you finish with a triumphant, but here's why everything's wonderful and it ties it all together. Uh, thank you very much for coming. My name's been Good night. You've been a great audience. Mm-hmm. That absolutely guaranteed was an absolute five-star show. There was a spate where things like that were just guaranteed to be award-nominated and praised. Like an issues, an issues yeah. sort of thing? Well, it's, it's, it's a formulate thing, but I'm not dissing that necessarily because... Mm-hmm. It's only a formula now because people have analysed the successful, excellent shows that people did in that style mm-hmm. and have worked out the pattern behind it and then have tried to emulate it using that formula quite cynically in some cases. And it yeah. hasn't been so successful. And now it feels trite and it feels tired, but it didn't necessarily at the time. But you can do some things to guarantee a five-star review, or not to guarantee, but to make it more likely. I think there's a wider point, for sure. If there's something that the audience but, can take away... That's... But then again, mm. you know, is it... Are the, the things that you do to make it more likely you get a five-star show, are those just what you do to do a good show? I would say yes. You know, I would like say it, yes. A theatre show is more likely to get a high-star <laughs> rating if it is something that touches on a serious and complicated issue that affects people and does so in a very sort of yes. in-depth and moving way. For sure, but there's then, so much But that's chatting. good, isn't it? I mean, that's yes, what we should yes, be doing yes, with theatre yes, and art. Like, I really think there's there's a lot of chat about, um, oh, there's woke comedy, you know, there's, yeah. there's freedom of speech and people should say whatever. But I think, uh, oh, you know, me, you know, we, I know we had some chat last year in our other podcast about maybe were some comedians only successful because they only talked about some issues. Yeah. And um, that's always been quite a strong feelings thing for me where... Yes, they probably were successful because they spoke about those issues, but that's because those those issues were important to the audience and art. It depends how you feel about the importance of art. I don't think um, any art form exists in a vacuum, and I think if people have if if something touches on a a thing that people feel strongly about, as well as being funny yeah. and as well as blah blah blah, then it's going to be much more successful than than something that it just exists as whatever we consider to be pure entertainment. So if, if yeah. something's got like a takeaway for the audience and if it's on the, the the side of history that the audience are on, then yes, the audience are going to feel strongly about it. They're going to have a, a big reaction to it and it's going to get a bunch of five stars. And I am personally absolutely fine with that. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. And yeah, it's... Um, yeah, the... 
And of course, there are going to be some people that are sort of cynically jumping on that bandwagon and, and deliberately trying to hit those particular buzz points on it to achieve that effect. But mm, that yeah. doesn't invalidate the central tenet, which Completely. is that that makes sense. You know, I think in yeah. terms of sort of woke versus politically incorrect comedy, well, it's there are a lot of people cynically appropriating the, ideas. The, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the number of the number of comedy nights that bill themselves as this is the only free speech comedy night still left where you're still allowed to say what you want, you know, uh, and you know where you can say the things that you're not allowed to say. Thing uh, is, you can say whatever you want. That's I, exactly the point. You absolutely can. You know, I don't. I, you can say whatever you want. It's just sometimes people on Twitter might argue with you. It does get my back up a little bit where I see a comedian on stage saying, you know, making a joke and then saying, "Oh, you can't say, say that, that anymore." anymore. But, but you just stage. You, you're, you're on stage. Just you're like, <laughs> you know, no, you're stood on the stage at Pleasant no. One and you've just said it in front of several hundred people. So clearly, you mm. can say that. So what's your point? Equally, I do, I do appreciate there is an issue where, where sometimes, and I think Claire and I were talking about that on the bus here, Johnny, um, to your house where we're recording this podcast. You mean the <laughs> uh, limousine? Yeah, that sorry, the limousine, the limousine that I got here that was in no way the, the bus that we were sitting <laughs> upstairs on. Absolutely no yeah. way. We were talking about... Um... I did send a driver, so I hope you actually... Yes, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Not doubting that at all. We were talking about advertising, actually, and when corporations uh, seem to cynically appropriate an idea... Yeah, you know, we, we, we agree with the ultimate message, but what was the purpose behind this? Was it yeah. was it really because you want to help people? Was it really because you want to do a public service? Or was it because you know that you're in a position to make money and this is the correct way to make money for your brand? And I think, you know, we were talking about it in terms of advertising, but I think also comedians... Appropriate causes. It, they can appropriate causes. Oh, they do. Uh, yes, yeah, they do. To make, and would you and, say that makes a five-star comedy show if you take... A, issue that's fashionable mental health say and package it up in the right way do you think that can automatically if the topic is popular enough currently turn into a five-star show i I think i've seen that happen i don't think it's the way it should be but i think i have seen that happen it affects it yeah and i'm and i'm sure i'm not immune to this you know I, i review comedy a lot and and i'm sure that I even subconsciously get influenced by if it's a topic that I feel particularly strongly about or, or that, that I understand, I'm sure I will be influenced to give it a better review, but I try not to be. But, you know, like you say, nothing exists in a vacuum. But It comes out to, I think, the comedy show can be funny if it also you, you support a thing that it agrees with that's going to get you emotionally in some way. And it's okay to, to think, therefore, that it's... Yeah. There's a good... I certainly think if, if I'm reviewing something, for me to give something five stars, I'm not going to give a comedian five stars just because they stand on stage and say trans women are women, even though they are, and that's something that I very, very fundamentally and passionately believe. But, you know, you need to do more than that. If, if you want five stars as a piece of art, as a, as a piece of comedy, you, you know, you need to have a well-crafted structure, you need to understand jokes, you need to have uh, a narrative that runs through it, you need to have an onstage persona that is consistent and apparent you you know you need to have structure to it and you need to be able to understand the way that it works you need to respond to the audience on the night and uh, you know there's all sorts of things that go into it uh, and so just by saying something that I personally happen to believe in or even something that I think mm-hmm. that I don't believe in but that clearly the rest of the audience does I've been to comedy things where 
I've totally agreed with the message. I've totally yeah. agreed with the. I've done that too. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I just don't think they're very yeah. funny. And for me, there's only so far that can go. Equally, I really struggle with the idea that like comedy can only be rated on like how funny it is. And yeah. there's, there's no yeah. other factors that come into it. I don't think, as I've said before, I don't think anything exists in a vacuum. So, yeah, I've probably given some negative reviews to things that I really agree with politically. But I, yeah. I, I probably would struggle to give a full five stars to something that I just thought was really on the wrong side of history and was really yeah. doing same. the world a disservice yeah. by existing. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I think I'd be the same. Yeah, it would have to be exceptionally good. Uh-huh. Way to give a five star to something where I just thought, yeah, but you're fundamentally wrong about that. You know, that is not how politics works or, you know, mm-hmm. that is not the way that uh, LGBT rights should be considered. You know, if that's if that's the case, it would have to be something transcendently brilliant mm. to give five. But usually, would you not think that a five star production of whatever variety is five star from a technical point of view. So yes. yeah. it's brilliantly scripted, acted, produced, uh-huh. presented, all of these things. But for me, the difference between a four and a five is the five adds something to your understanding of the, of the world. world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, issue. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. And that's a problem that I have with people that would criticise something that is sort of fundamentally political and say, well, you're disagreeing with that because of the politics or... You know, you're just doing that because it's on the side of history that you feel that you're on, or whatever. For me, that's the extra star. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the five star. Something can be brilliant, but, but not moving the conversation on. But all. not moving the conversation on when mm. it's moving the conversation of history on. I think yes, that I mean, and that's what art does. All kinds of art. It's mm-hmm. history, theatre, yeah. music, books, poetry, anything. Um, without that, just, <laughs> just the thing that's existing in the world. Isn't that, it? that sort of and opens up a, a whole other conversation which is you know is the star system even valid at all you know or is it more trouble than it's worth that's a whole other conversation perhaps that's something for the next podcast I don't perhaps know. yeah no yeah. it's an interesting it's... one exactly a year since we did the yes. last podcast so it looks like this is going to have a release rate of annual uh, so <laughs> let's do the same thing as we did last time this year's fringe is there anything that people are particularly excited or interested in me me yeah i've got a couple it. of things they're perennial favorites some of mine <laughs> i'm possibly not bringing anything new to the table here but they are worth bringing to the table in terms of comedy I am very delighted to see Stuart Lee back with a yeah. walk in progress. Yeah. Who's not delighted to see him back? Welcome <laughs> back, Stu. We've missed you. Equally, Simon Munnery. I didn't oh. actually, I didn't go and see him last year. I've been seeing him every year as long as I can remember, but I, I haven't in a little while. So, um, delighted to see uh, Alan Parker, Urban Warrior, back. Absolute classic. Very delighted by that. So, that's comedy. In terms of theatre, the Travers has got a lot going on that I'm really pleased about. Perhaps especially Burgers, which is a play about a transphobic attack involving a burger, which is really about uh, yeah addressing a couple of scene violence by you know uh, in in that sort of way. That sounds interesting. Yes, I've not yes, heard yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. That sounds really interesting. Uh, another one 
last one at the at the Traverse again is uh, Crocodile Fever, directed by Megan T- uh, Tyler. Megan Tyler, um, directed by Gareth Nichols of Urban Ulster fame. If anyone remembers that, um, which is apparently a punk inspired sort of Thelma and Louise. <laughs> set in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles, so for me that ticks basically every box. I'm very excited about that one. So that's me. Ulster <laughs> right. American was great, wasn't it? Yes. It was one of my favourite <laughs> shows from the Fringe last year. That was a five star, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I did think I reviewed it for mm. us, but it was brilliant. My areas of interest this year are three. Um, two of these I've seen already, so it's a bit of a cheat. There's a wonderful show that if you haven't seen, you ought to seek out called Mouthpiece yes. by Kieran Hurley, who's a local-ish writer. And uh, it's a really fascinating debate about art and who is allowed to create art and how the art creator affects the audience's reaction to it. It's um, a really great story and a really great mm-hmm. philosophical ba- debate all bound up into a great little piece of theatre. Yes. Um, so that's on a, the Traverse 2. Uh, not that we're um, uh, trying to promote the Traverse <laughs> in particular as a venue as opposed to the no, many all, other worthy and wonderful venues in the Fringe. Yeah. Um, another thing which I saw earlier this year, which was a total unexpected delight, was a piece of theatre performance poetry by a lady called Leila Josephine who is a performance poet from Glasgow it's called Daddy Drag and it's an incredible story about um episode in her life is ridiculously vague but to say anything more than that will probably spoil the surprise she's tremendous so very talented so I would um she's on at Summer Hall I would certainly urge you to go and seek that out from a personal point of view, things I haven't seen. I'm really curious to see what Scottish Ballet gets up to with The Crucible mm. because taking mm. such an iconic play and trying to turn it into something I'm guessing might not have any words but in it. But this is my name. Gives in me form. slight fear. Um, <laughs> however, it could be absolutely, myself to absolutely incredible and atmospheric and all of these things. Yeah. Um, and a ballet show feels like a perfect place for teenage hysteria in lots mm. of ways. So yeah, exactly. um, absolutely extraordinary to see where they go with it and Scottish Ballet yeah. are doing some absolutely brilliant things in the International Festival. Maybe they can make it just so. a little bit shorter as well. <laughs> Excellent okay. choices, Claire. I would say. I'm up for all of them. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to pimp, pimp the monkey barrel, basically. Oh, Harry, yes. Just... Always. <laughs> so... You know what? See, if we're talking about the monkey barrel. Can I just mention the On The Time Lash podcast with you can. Um, Ben Verth and yeah. Mark Donaldson, excellent human beings. Are they doing anything that you know of? I or... think they may have a live version of Time Lash, actually. Oh, man. See, I mean, they did last year. They did last year. Chaos. But, yeah. Yeah. So On the Time Lash is a Doctor Who podcast for th- those who don't know. Um, right. Don't be put off by that. Because if you're a fan of Doctor Who, absolutely go and see it. If you're a fan of just lovely humans, also go and see it because they're excellent. It is very, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is It is so rambling that it makes this podcast you're listening to right now look very structured. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's very good. Uh, yes. Yeah, the, the Monkey Barrel uh, as a venue is just doing tremendous things. The, mm. they, they opened as a permanent year-round comedy venue in Edinburgh and I don't know whether they're aware but we already have the stand which is like one of the best comedy clubs in the world so that was challenging ground to do but they have done tremendous work uh, they really and have. the Monkey Barrel is a superb venue absolutely superb venue their lineup this year is unbelievable I, I think it's the best lineup I've ever seen 
from any comedy venue at the Fringe since I agree, I've Johnny. been going. Honestly, yeah. uh, there's not a weak point on it. And everything is brilliant. The thing I'm particularly excited about is they've got Cameron Esposito over from the US, mm. uh, who is one of my all-time favourites. I absolutely adore her. She is a comedian that is resident, I think, in Los Angeles most of the time. Um, she does another podcast. In fact, I'll pimp her podcast as well, because why not? Um, <laughs> so she does a podcast called Put Your Hands Together, um, which is a weekly recording of her weekly stand-up show. Um, that she does and she records that and put, just puts people's sets out live like that and she also has another one called Query which is her interviewing uh, luminaries from the LGBT plus mm-hmm. community which is also very good um, but she's a really great comedian that I've been sort of following for the past few years and she's gone from strength to strength um, she had her own TV show um, called Take My Wife which was very very good she released uh, a special I think Last year, year before, I can't remember, um, called Rape Jokes, um, which is, if you haven't seen it, you can see it for free. Go to CameronEsposito.com, you can still watch it for free. All proceeds for it go to um, Rape and Sexual Assault Charities. It is, I mean, it's just superb, absolutely superb. Uh, and it's that, one of those things where it, it goes beyond the art that it is it's not just comedy it's something more than that as well yeah she's absolutely brilliant and this is the first time as far as i'm aware that she's ever played in the uk like alone in edinburgh it's the first time she's on the fringe so i can't wait for that it's gonna be absolutely brilliant but the rest of their lineup is also great so basically if you want me over august i will be living at the monkey barrel pretty much <laughs> fair enough Thanks very much for listening. Make sure you subscribe so you can hear our next episode whenever we decide to release that. We'll hold another little competition. If you can tell us when our next episode is going to be released, you can win some smugness. Come visit us online as well at thewereview.com. Bye.